Hello, I'm Lori Murphy, Assistant Division Director for Executive Education at the Federal Judicial Center. Welcome to our podcast focused on executive leadership in the judiciary. Today's episode is about the importance of civility in the workplace. Civility might seem like a quaint notion at a time when there are many pressing issues that demand leaders' attention. Yet there's increasing evidence that the costs of incivility are profound for both individuals and organizations. And research suggests that organizations that promote and reward civility actually outperform those that don't. At the individual level, civility increases leaders' ability to influence others and be effective. Our host for today's episode is my colleague, Michael Siegel, Senior Education Specialist at the Federal Judicial Center. Michael, take it away. Thanks, Lori. Today we're going to talk with Dr. Christine Porath, Associate Professor at the McDonough School of Business at Georgetown University. Professor Porath is also a consultant working with leading organizations like Google, the United Nations, the World Bank, and several federal executive agencies. She's a frequent contributor to the Harvard Business Review, the New York Times, and the Wall Street Journal. Her work has been featured in over 1,500 television, radio, and print outlets, including Today, 2020, NBC, and CBS. Professor Porath is the author of the 2016 book we'll discuss today, Mastering Civility, a Manifesto for the Workplace. Thanks for joining us, Christine. Thanks for having me. It's good to have you here. In your book, you say, at its core, civility is about connecting in a human way with others. Can you tell us what this looks like in the workplace? Yeah, so I think it's about valuing people and showing them respect, uh, regardless of any differences they may have, uh, whether it's race, gender, differences in political opinions, coming from different backgrounds, but just that you treat everyone with a certain amount of dignity or respect where they feel like they matter. And it's probably not as easy as it sounds. Right. Yeah. It sounds very simple. We should have learned this in kindergarten, I think most people assume, but it seems like struggle more than we maybe should, particularly in workplaces, but also in society more generally these days. Let's look at incivility, which is, of course, the other side of civility. In your book, you describe incivility as a crisis. Why? Polls that study this and track it have found that nowadays over 70% of people consider it a crisis in America right now. I've studied it in the workplace over the last two decades and sadly have seen an uptick of it where, you know, over 50% now say they experience or witness it even weekly at work. So it's been on the rise for quite some time, at least in workplaces. So it's increasing in recent years. Yes. What does your own research, as well as the studies of other scholars, reveal about the global impact of incivility in the workplace? Well, it's huge in terms of the financial toll it takes. I mean, sadly, so many people get pulled off track. So it's not just about the person that experiences it and their performance suffers. They lose time worrying about the incident. 12% will leave their job because of it, which is a huge cost as far as turnover goes and adds up quickly. 
But we also find that it pulls witnesses or people that hear about the incident off track nearly as much as their performance declines over 25%. They are 50% less creative, three times less likely to help others. And so as you might imagine, these costs can add up quite quickly. And that's not including things like the stress or healthcare costs or legal costs of having to deal with some of this or managers' time and energy having to talk to different parties about it, consult others, try to come up with a means of managing this. So it really, really adds up quickly. Cisco took just a few of our numbers a decade ago and said that it was costing them conservatively $12 million a year. A small regional hospital that I worked with recently worked with their financial team and said it was costing them conservatively $30 million a year. Wow. Uh, and in different economies, I saw something recently out of the UK that said it was costing a subsector of their economy $2 billion a year bullying in the workplace. It's just really kind of staggering how quickly the costs add up. Yeah. So it's really, it goes beyond soft skills. It's hard data. Yes. In your book, you give a personal example of a colleague who spoke quite negatively and derisively about the title of your book, if I remember correctly. How did that affect you personally? Well, I think it's a minor example, but I brought it up because it was easy for me to think about what did that mean. At the time, I was up for tenure at my school, and I was already feeling some sense of, like, I'm being judged or it matters how I'm performing, all of that. And it really did pull me off track as far as attention goes. And I'm certainly performance as well. You know, I just remember looking at my computer and thinking about it. and What should I have said? And how should I have handled that? And what does this mean in terms of my future here? And if it doesn't work out here, then, you know, and of course, it just you kind of spin out of control yeah. in your mind. Yeah. And it's easy to lose time and energy. And, you know, I'm not proud of that. But I do know from talking to others that happens to them as well. And trying to get the word out there that as much as possible, it's easier said than done. But try to focus on you. You can't change what a person does necessarily, particularly if they have more power or status than you. And in this case, they did. What's important is you find a way to kind of soldier on and thrive as best as possible in your own work life and also your personal life because kind of thriving in your personal life also helps buffer the negative effects at the workplace and more generally as far as stress and everything else. So sometimes I tell people, because a lot of times they'll feel stuck, that you need to focus on yourself and building yourself back up and others can help you do that. But that will help make you more resilient and bring a stronger self into the workplace such that hopefully you won't get pulled off track quite as much. Thanks for sharing that with us. I think we've all felt that way from time to time. And you're right, the support of others helps build this and fortify us. You write that most people overestimate how civil they actually are. In fact, you note that in several surveys, and I found this rather humorous, respondents rated their chances of getting into heaven as higher than those of Mother Teresa. Why do you think there's such a disconnect between how we actually behave and how we believe we behave? 
Well, apparently, based on psychological research, we're just biased. We tend to remember and think about our strengths and when we've been at our best and the nice things that we've done or those positive moments. You know, Marshall Goldsmith talks about we replay the reel of success in our mind, but we don't often reflect on the times where we would be less than proud of ourselves or, you know, we slipped Mm -hmm. up or that kind of thing. And Tasha Yurik has given a TED Talk on this and has written about it, but, you know, she when she's researched this and polled people, 95% of people think that they're self-aware, where she's found only about 10 to 15% actually are. And I think I found similar results in the sense of a huge reason for coming off as uncivil, I think, stems not from meaning to be that negative person or the jerk at work, but rather just a lack of self-awareness. We don't recognize how we're being perceived by others. And often there's small things that we're doing that are rubbing people the wrong way. And probably often it's not safe to give feedback to others in this regard. Exactly, because especially we find that two-thirds of the time incivility, and this is across industries, comes from people with more power or status, and our default is we're uncomfortable. That would be awkward. We can't speak up. So sadly, those people don't necessarily get the feedback, and I think that contributes to the lack of self-awareness. And a friend of mine who was actually a VP of Human Resources years ago said she feels sorry for people because as they rise up in the organization, they actually get less and less useful feedback. And at the time, that surprised me, but now I see that. And that's where there's different ways of kind of gathering this feedback by yourself if the organization doesn't provide some of that. But I think it's important for us to consider, you know, kind of honing in on our blind spots because we all have them. Absolutely. And in your book, you give a very helpful tool for us to gauge our own levels of civility or incivility. You have a self-assessment that measures, for instance, how often we say please and thank you. How often do we forget to include others? How often do we retreat into our e-gadgets? What can listeners gain by taking this self-assessment? Well, I think it's meant to get a sense of where we should target our improvements and where we can become more consistent. It's meant to be a useful resource for just kind of drawing some reflection on Mm. how we're showing up. Now, granted, this is, again, self, but I think the quiz online is meant to give you some quick feedback and also some specific suggestions around behaviors that you could do to kind of improve those different aspects. So it's meant to kind of customize things so it's helpful in moving you forward. But I also encourage that teams use that kind of quiz. I have some resources on my website around a team tune-up. You know, we, we can talk about how are we doing, you know, what are our strengths and weaknesses, and even just asking teammates for, you know, what are three things I'm doing well that contribute to my or the team or organization's effectiveness? What are a couple things that I should work on? That's been very useful activity for some of the groups and MBA population that I uh, teach and things like that. That sounds like a great idea for teams, absolutely. Your book offers tips for increasing our civility, such as smiling more frequently, as I'm told to do when I conduct this interview. You you reference the amazing statistic that kids smile up to 400 times a day, but only 30% of adults smile more than 20 times a day, and 14% don't smile at all. I think I know some of those people. How does smiling help to increase civility? 
actually it lifts us up. So physiologically, our own body changes when we smile. Um, we set off a trigger. We may not notice it consciously, but it actually puts us in a better spot and I think can contribute to interacting well with others because we feel a little bit of a boost, if you will. But more importantly, I think, is that it really does increase others' sense of warmth of you and how they respond to you. They might be far more open. They might be willing to share information. They feel far more connected to you. And especially in the workplace, these are important things. And one of the nice things about smiling also is it seems to be a very positive signal across cultures. <laughs> Given that we have very diverse workplaces, you know, it's a nice way to kind of gesture and acknowledge to people that you are warm, you do want to connect. Hopefully that means, you know, you're happy to see them. So yeah, exactly. All of these things are good. You're contributing in some way to others feeling a lift and feeling valued or at least acknowledged. Any other simple tips for helping us to become more civil? Yeah, well, one of the biggest complaints I hear about is people that are multitasking. So they're on their phone or they're on their laptop or just very distracted. And so I think that most People are asking for people to pay more attention and to listen attentively to someone. And I know for myself, but I hear so many others say it too, it's very distracting now. Maybe you feel like you're listening, but your nonverbals are telling a different story. And people shut down and they won't speak up. They won't come to you anymore mm -hmm. because of that. And so I think if we could all work on listening attentively, that would go a long way to others. And we would probably be better off as well, too. Absolutely. Thanks. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to continue talking with Professor Christine Porath about the impact of civility on leadership and organizational effectiveness. Are you a deputy court unit executive with a passion for learning and a desire to cultivate leadership in others? If this sounds like you, and you have at least three to five years of experience in your role, as well as solid teaching experience, the FJC needs you. We are currently recruiting candidates to serve on the faculty of our programs for deputy court unit executives. Interested candidates must submit an application, participate in a selection interview, and if invited, successfully complete an instructor training program in May 2019. To learn more or to apply for this exciting opportunity, visit the executive education page at fjc.dcn or contact FJC Education Specialist Missy Cross at 202-502-4057 or mcross at fjc.gov. I'm talking with Professor Christine Porat, author of Mastering Civility, a Manifesto for the Workplace. Christine, before the break, we were talking a lot about face-to-face -face interactions, but in your book, you also write that civility is important in email and other online communication. Would you explain what you mean by e-civility and specifically how we can use email in ways that promote civility? Well, I think, you know, I just refer to civility as any electronic communication and how we should be mindful of how we interact with it and how we might be interpreted when we use it. It's tougher when we're trying to convey respect or dignity to someone or be polite when using this various technologies because oftentimes the receiver does not have your tone or your nonverbals and it makes for a lot of misunderstandings, basically, or the potential 
potential for that, particularly, again, given that we may be coming from very different backgrounds, very different cultures where we may speak very directly and that might be kind of our default or others may be used to a lot of pleasantries and so forth in email. And so we may judge people and the message quite differently. That's very interesting. And like you say, you can't see the body language. Right. Yeah. In the civility quiz, the number one thing people fault them for, self for, is using email when they should use face-to-face or a richer form of communication. And I think we often hide behind email, whether it's we're giving bad news or there's something stressful or we want to fire something off and not deal with someone's response, things like that. And particularly under those circumstances where we think someone might not respond well or we're Mm -hmm. delivering bad news or it's something that stresses us or them out, then we should try to use a richer form of communication, even if that's Skype or Zoom or something where people have your nonverbals and or your tone uh, or pick up the phone at least so that they have your tone and to mm-hmm. respond. Absolutely. It's maybe email is efficient but not effective, perhaps. Yeah, I think that's right, especially in some certain circumstances. You mentioned that organizations that encourage and even reward civility in the workplace experience increased levels of performance and productivity. Can you give us some examples of this? Sure. Zappos has a program where people can give each other $50 gift certificate for doing something really positive. And the idea being that they write up the specifics and then they're eligible for a larger award, a free parking spot for the month, and uh, this fun cape that's labeled you a hero. And people display it proudly, and that has reinforced behaviors that the organization really wants. And peers are actually the most underutilized source of feedback and reinforcement because we expect that our leaders will do that. But most often, they're not present Mm -hmm. necessarily. And so I think for most organizations, Peers are actually great at kind of doling out high fives or thank yous or sharing credit. And you really want to build a culture where that happens often. Uh, Finding fun ways, and it doesn't have to have resources behind it, but there can be quick thank you system in your email type of server and so forth where you can shoot an email about something that someone did well. Or nowadays, there's a lot of apps that reward people or say great job or whatever, but they get it to people kind of quickly after that they've been civil or done something really well that the organization wants more of. Great. What else can organizations do to promote civility? Well, I think one of the things that I've seen work really well is having a code of civility or standards of respect. And whether you get employees involved in coming up with those, as I've seen done and done with law firms, for example, or you kind of hand them, you know, we're going to really strive to live these 10 principles of civility, that's really helpful. And again, you can reinforce one each month, circulate materials around them each month, um, kind of build them into the, the culture. Some of them have them on the back of their name badges and plastered all over cafeterias and hallways and so forth. So they really make a big deal about the civility campaigns. I think another thing is just, again, whatever you can do to reward and reinforce this is helpful. Thanking people at the beginning of meetings, things like that. So leaders and managers really set the tone. We and other researchers have found that civility training is effective, that it builds awareness and can really improve a variety of business outcomes. And so I know that a lot more of that is being done. And in fact, 
It also helps mitigate the potential for harassment and it being used in multiple ways uh, to mm. kind of improve the culture and provide some shelter from certain risks may occur in organizations. So those are a few things that I've seen yeah. you know, work really well. Great. You mentioned leaders and managers have a particular responsibility. Have you seen some leaders really take this on? Absolutely. So, you know, I mentioned a law firm where they had a training for everyone and then they broke into very mixed groups, didn't matter your status or power in the organization, and they brainstorm and and then voted and came up with 10 that they were willing to live by and they would hold each other accountable for the code of civility. And, you know, they had it engraved and put in granite in their lobby and really worked on this. And within a year and a half, they won best place to work. And so I think that, that that's one example of how I've seen this work really well. There's a group at the Architects of the Capitol that has a civility campaign and they're doing tremendous with it and reinforcing each of their principles of civility. They focus on one each month. Everyone goes through training. And, you know, I think for them, it's become really ingrained in their culture such that people just call each other out on stuff. Like they'll say like seven, dude, seven or five, (laughs) you know, they know them by number. And and that's really what you want is, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of everyone engaged and really motivated to live this stuff and to help kind of coach others when they slip up such that we all kind of move from good to great. Absolutely. And leaders, you mentioned before, sometimes live in a feedback-poor environment themselves. So what else can they do to be sure that this value is being promulgated? Yeah, I think it's really important that they walk the talk, especially if they've set expectations such around civility. And so, you know, getting feedback about how they're perceived is actually quite helpful. I mean, one of the leaders that I think had a great way of kind of thinking about this is Doug Conant, who was the CEO of Campbell's, and he talked about being tough-minded on standards, but tender-hearted with people. And that, you know, he focused on touch points or these brief daily interactions he had with people, whether in the cafeteria, in meeting rooms, or in the hallways. And he said if he handled each touch point well, he'd make employees feel valued. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a great attitude to have because we all, certainly leaders, have about 400 of these touch points a day, and most don't take long, less than two minutes each. So the key is to be agile and mindful in these moments. Excellent. Well, Christine, now we're going to focus for my final question on the judiciary, which, as you know, like many other institutions, is finding ways to increase civility in the workplace and deal with some vexing issues like sexual harassment. What else can judicial leaders learn from your research? Well, I think walking the talk is one important element. I think if you come up with a code of civility or norms that you live by, I think that that makes it very actionable and It also helps if you can really get the word out on those specifics and then get people to focus on that, whether it's you're concentrating on one a month or whether you're drawing attention to that. But I think it's a way that we all become clear on the expectations and we all strive to live for certain specifics. And so that kind of lifts us all up. Those would be kind of some main things. I mean, ideally, you want a situation where people are 
kind of coaching each other, Mm -hmm. if you will, or providing that feedback. So particularly in smaller groups, smaller departments, teams, judicial offices, if you work on the team feedback, I think that's great too. Typically, it works well, whether it's groups of five or 10, uh, you could obviously do more. But I think if people know each other well, they're more comfortable Mm -hmm. and they can speak more accurately to specifics. But I think just drawing attention to this and showing that it matters, you know, and it's worth our time and energy. And yes, it may seem like minor things. And yes, you started out like, didn't we all know this by now? Isn't this obvious? Exactly. But I think it is worth the attention, certainly for objective business outcomes that so many organizations obviously care about. Well, that's really great. You've given us a lot to think about. Is there any anything else you'd like our listeners to know? The courage to speak up about this, is, I think, is important because what you don't want to do is stay silent about certain issues because they can get worse. And so I think if we teach each other, you see something, say something, you yeah. know, and the idea of providing feedback to each other, then we will move ourselves forward and lift others up in doing so. Great point. Great way to uh, bring this to a close. And I'd like to thank you very much, Professor Porath, for sharing your research and insights with us today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Michael. To hear more episodes of In Session, visit the Executive Education page on fjc.dcn and click or tap podcast. You can also search for and subscribe to In Session on your mobile device. Produced by Jennifer Richter and directed by Craig Bowden. I'm Lori Murphy. Thanks for listening. Until next time.